0: At a funeral, I was hearing a description of the highlights. Let's call it the highlights of the life of the man who just died. That often happens, doesn't it, as a fu- at a funeral. You might call it a tribute or a eulogy. And here was the life of this man being described, or at least the highlights of that life. And it included this. The man who just died worked at Pinewood Film Studios. And, and we were told how he would used to sometimes meet some interesting people there. And how he'd once met the famous actor Michael Douglas. And this was given as a highlight of the man's life. He'd once met the famous actor Michael Douglas while he was working at Pinewood Studios. And as I sat in the crematorium, confronted by death, it seemed rather trivial. In fact, to have that as a highlight of his life seemed a bit sad. Facing death brings into focus what really matters in life. Maybe actually all this unsettling we've had recently, COVID, war come to Europe, a cost of living crisis where we don't know really what's going to go on, has, has made you think about what really matters in life. Well, the Bible tells us a true story of a man facing death. And it's a story to get us thinking about and to tell us what really matters in life? What is the one thing you need? The story is in Luke chapter 23. If you've got a Bible near you, you may find it helpful to turn to Luke 23. If you haven't, well, it's going to at various times come up on the screen, so you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. I've said Luke 23, it's verses 39 to 43. What we call Luke is one of the accounts of the life of Jesus. And Luke's account particularly emphasises the need to humbly rely on Jesus. That's a theme running through his story. It's all about Jesus, but with this theme, the need to humbly rely on Jesus. And Luke liked to show that by often giving us pairs of people to consider. Pairs of people where often one was humbly relying on Jesus and the other wasn't. One of those pairs is the two criminals who were at the same time as Jesus, nailed to crosses and left to die. One of those criminals was a demonstration of the one thing you need to be humbly relying on Jesus. Let's see that now. Let's see that now, but we will start with the other criminal, the first criminal on a cross. The one who wasn't humbly relying on Jesus. Now, at what we now call Easter time, 2,000 years ago, three men were crucified, were nailed to crosses as a form of execution. The one in the middle was Jesus, and either side of him was a criminal. With both, we don't know their names. Both had done things that the authorities deserved the worst, most horrible form of execution. And both say something to Jesus. Both say something. Did you notice when Andy read it to us, both ask Jesus a question. They bring to Jesus a request. It might look similar. If you just looked at the actual words, it might look like they're really almost the same. If you just look at the actual words. But just looking at actual words isn't good enough. Here's an example for you. I could sing Easy On Me. Well, I could if I knew it. I'm sure I could look it up and find it. I could sing Easy On Me, and the words would be the same as Adele singing it. But those who know my singing would know the quality and the tone would not be the same. Okay. By the way, I don't even know what's in that song, so I hope I haven't quoted something really terrible. But anyway... You get the point, I hope. The words could be the same, but the quality and tone, I can assure you, me singing and Adele singing it would be two different matters. Can you see the difference in the quality and the tone of the question of the first criminal compared with the second? The first criminal helps us to see what humbly relying on Jesus is by giving us a contrast. Let's read verse 39 to see some contrasts. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. You see, his words, are very similar to the other criminal, but the tone is all different. They're, why? Why? Well, first of all, and mostly, Because there is a difference in what he thinks of Jesus. This is the big one. There's a difference in what he thinks of Jesus. He has seen Jesus being laid down on the ground on a cross and nails driven through him. He has been next to Jesus as he hung there. The ultimate picture of weakness and helplessness and wretchedness, pitiable. He's heard people mocking You think you're the Christ? You claim to be the king of the Jews? Well, save yourself. Come down from the cross. And then I'd believe you. And this criminal has gone along with those appearances. He's gone along with the crowd. Of course course this person isn't the son of God, isn't the Christ. That means God's promised king. This this Jesus is as far as you could get from kingly. And this Jesus is no help to me. And so his question isn't a genuine request. It's a bitingly throwing in the face of Jesus his unbelief. The big difference is what he makes of Jesus. But there's also a difference this way. What he thinks of himself. What he thinks of himself. His whole tone shows a sense of entitlement He's effectively saying, get me down from this cross, bring my sufferings to an end, or I won't believe you. Do what I say. Give me what I want, and then yes, maybe I'll believe you. As if he's entitled to call the shots. As if he's entitled to specify what must happen to make him believe. He's got this sense of entitlement. It tells you what he thinks of himself. He's also different from the other criminal in this way, where his focus is. Now, what do you think he actually is after? When he says, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. What do you think he actually wants from Jesus? Well, seems to me very obvious, it's get us off this cross. When he says save us, get us off this cross. Give me what I want here and now. Now, in one sense, I don't blame him, do you? I hope you've got a bit of sympathy for him. He is suffering terribly. Who can blame him to say, please rescue me from this? Although he doesn't actually say, please rescue me from this. As we've seen, his tone is completely different. But I don't suppose you think his demand is unreasonable. I want to be free of suffering. But remember the person he's speaking to. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the Son of God. He's speaking to the one who made the world. And that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference to what he should be asking. I try to illustrate it like this. Children, you might be interested to know... In our family, we have two rabbits. They live in the garden in a run. And sometimes, when I go up to them and I go into their run, they come running up to me. And I think, oh, that's nice, isn't it? They like me. They want to be with me. Do they? No, they want food. And if they discover I haven't got food, off they go, and they don't want to know. If I have got food, yeah, that's it. Get the food from me, and then they don't want to know. They've got the food. That's what they want. They, I sometimes naively think, Oh, how nice, these rabbits like me. They're getting to know me. No, they've discovered I might have food, and that's what they're after. Have you treated Jesus, the Son of God, like that? Someone to get things from Someone to give you what you want, but you don't want him. That was the attitude of this criminal. Do you have any of the attitudes of this first criminal? Let's move on quickly to the second criminal on the cross, because he is the good example to us, and we must spend longer on him. The story of two criminals on a cross is helpful because of the contrast between the first one and the second one. But it's also helpful because it's so simple and brief, and that means it's clear to see the one thing you need, because it's not cluttered with a load of other things you don't need. And one of the ways it helps us see the one thing you need is by doing a process of elimination. It's a bit like this. Let's have a picture on the screen. Children, do you recognise this game? Recognise that game? Played that game? Cluedo. It works by a process of elimination. You're trying to tell who committed the crime. Was it Mrs. White in the kitchen with the dagger? And what you do is you go through and you eliminate the people it's not. You find out, was it Professor Plum? No, cross him off. Was it Colonel Mustard? No, cross him off. Was it Miss Scarlet? No, cross her off. And you eliminate until you get to the one you need. Now, this story of the criminal on the cross is helpful like that because it's so brief and clear. It allows us to do a process of elimination. Here's a rare man. He's a rare man because we know for sure he went to heaven. Not many people you can say that about. We know for sure he went to heaven. It says so. So let's go through the things people think take you to heaven and eliminate them. Is it because he was good? He's a criminal. And it's not a mistake. He's being executed. He deserves it. He says so himself. It's not because he's good. Is it because he's an able man? He has got through life on his abilities and now he can stare death in the face and get through that on his abilities. He's nailed to a cross. He is being drained of blood and heaving for breath. He's as helpless as you could be. It's not because of his ability. Is it by being religious? Do we know he's got to heaven because he got himself a dose of religion? He can't get to church. He can't get baptised. It's too late. He's got no time left to do some good that would make up for the bad he's done. It's clearly not by being religious. Is it because he said the right words and he prayed a good prayer? Oh, you might think that one's getting close. But it's not that one. You won't find his words in a book of recommended prayers. There's nothing impressive, let alone magical, about them. And so we could go through all the things that people tend to put their confidence in, people tend to rely on, and this story eliminates them because they are all substitutes for humbly relying on Jesus. And this story pushes them all aside to show you the one thing you need, humbly relying on Jesus. What's that like? What's that like? Let's, let's go through now uh, by seeing the contrast with the first criminal we heard about a minute ago. The biggest contrast is what he thinks of Jesus. This is why he's humbly relying on Jesus, because of what he thinks of Jesus. Let's have a picture again. Now, what do you see? What do you see? Or maybe you say, I see one vase, or is it a wine glass, or is it a candlestick? I don't know. But maybe you concentrate on the one thing in black you see there. Or maybe you say, I see two faces, and that's what you focus on. It's quite a well-known picture, isn't it? Quite a well-known. It's not quite an optical illusion. But it's to demonstrate people can look at the same thing and see two different things. People can look at the same event and the same evidence, and it's... And see different things. And that's what's going on here. This criminal, he saw just the same events as the first criminal. Just the same. Maybe he watched Jesus being nailed to the cross. But what he noticed was different. He noticed that unlike everyone else, this Jesus didn't curse and rage against the Roman soldiers doing it. He didn't resist and struggle. This was unique. Maybe he noticed that as this was happening, this man Jesus, rather than cursing, prayed, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And maybe that criminal thought, who is this man that he doesn't rage and curse, that he, uh, that he just accepts what's being done to him? Who is this man who calls God his father? And What does he mean they don't know what they're doing? They know they're driving nails through a man and horribly killing him. So what quite are they doing that they don't understand? What is it about this death that is unknown to the Roman soldiers? Maybe he listened to the taunts thrown at Jesus. Did you notice that the taunts mainly revolved around this? Jesus, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. And maybe he thought... I've heard people say that this Jesus opened the eyes of the blind and healed the lepers. There are even people who claim that he raised the dead. He has saved others. Now, surely he could save himself. Why isn't he saving himself? What's going on that he allows himself to be killed? Maybe all these thoughts were going through that criminal's mind. I expect he saw the notice over Jesus that said, this is the king of the Jews. And instead of thinking, what a joke, like the first criminal, maybe he'd heard Jesus at his trial. Jesus at his trial said to the judge, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, you wouldn't be able to kill me, but my kingdom is not of this world. Maybe that criminal thought, is this a different sort of king from any we've ever known before? And so this criminal comes to the conclusion, Jesus is a king. See verse 42. Verse 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's not a failure. He's the one who can help me. And so he simply asks, remember me. If you think of me, if you remember me, then all is well. Jesus, I don't need to tell you exactly what to do because you know better than me. I'm confident you'll do what's needed. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, I need to be in your hands. Amazing, those hands were nailed to a cross. But he's saying, Jesus, I need to be in your hands. The key to it all is what he thinks of Jesus. But he also is different in what he thinks of himself. What he thinks of himself. Children, I once spoke to a prison chaplain. So that's a person, a bit like a minister of a church or a vicar, but working in a prison. Think of that, working in a prison with the prisoners. I said to him, wow, that must be really good, telling the Christian gospel to people in prison who know that they're bad. He said, no, they don't know they're bad. He said, the prisoners... They all think, I'm not bad because I'm not those people over in that wing of the prison where they put the really bad ones. And he said, in that wing of the prison, they think, I'm not bad because I'm not that person over there. You might speculate which people they think are the worst ones. But he said, they all are thinking, I'm not bad because I'm not that other worst person in the prison. What this criminal says here is very rare. Did you notice it in verse 41? It's very rare. He says, I am being punished justly. I deserve this being nailed to a cross and executed. That's a rare admission. To put it simply, he knows he's a sinner. And so although both criminals ask for something, and the words may look similar, one is asking as an entitled demander, give it to me, I ought to have it. And the other is asking as a beggar. I can't demand, I don't deserve, but Jesus, I am begging. He's different in what he thinks of Jesus, what he thinks of himself. He's different in where his focus is. Where his focus is. Let's think about this. Children, do you know who received a kingdom on the 6th of February, 1952? Now, or came into a kingdom. I'm I'm using the words actually from verse 42. Come into a kingdom. There's someone who came into a kingdom or was given a kingdom on the 6th of February, 1952. It was the day that George VI died. So did George VI come into a kingdom? No, because he died. So he lost the kingdom and his daughter Elizabeth came into a kingdom, received the kingdom, became the queen. You don't receive a kingdom on the day you die. You lose it on the day you die. And yet this criminal thinks Jesus is about to come into his kingdom. Look at verse 42 again. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's speaking to Jesus dying. He's speaking to Jesus dripping blood into the ground and heaving to get his last breath. And he thinks Jesus is about to become king. It's remarkable faith. He clearly believes what matters most is what happens after death. That's where his focus is. Do you see, it's quite different to the other criminal. What matters most is what happens after death. He doesn't say to Jesus, stop me dying and get me down from this cross. He's saying effectively, Jesus, I need you for what's going to happen next. I need you for what's going to happen after my death. To put it in the sort of language Jesus used in the Gospels, he is basically saying, Jesus, I need you to get me out of hell into heaven. That's what it's about. I need you so I can escape hell And enter heaven. Last Wednesday was the 25th anniversary of something. Do you know what? Last Wednesday was the 25th anniversary of the death of Diana, Princess of Wales. Some of you are too young to remember her. I expect you've heard of her. She had the looks and the fame and the wealth and the personality and the admiration that so many people want and chase after. And it was all gone in an instant. And what good is it to her now? Life is very short. It goes very quickly. Eternity is very long. There's one thing you need. Humbly, to be humbly relying on Jesus. We've thought about the first criminal on a cross and the second criminal on a cross. We must end by thinking about the man on the middle cross. And I'm going to have to be brief because we're, we're running out of time, uh, which is a big pity because, of course, he's the most important one, the man on a middle cross. But I hope those two criminals either side have been like a pair of binoculars to get you focused on Jesus, the man on the, on the middle cross. Because he's the one you must rely on. I'll just try to point out to you two things about him. Two things. Here's the first one. I'll try to get it across with an illustration. Imagine you're up at the university campus. And you see a big crowd of people. And you wonder what's going on. And you manage to push your way to the front. And there... a crowd has gathered because there's a famous visitor to Loughborough University. She's playing tennis on those good tennis courts they've got. Do you know who it is? It's Serena Williams. And So you jostle yourself to the front. There's all the crowd jostling to see her. But you manage to get to the front and you give her a wave and you catch her eye and you say, Serena, remember me. Is she going to remember you? When she's finished her tennis match? When she's got back to the USA, will she remember you? Uh, Well, let's presume you're not doing anything too outrageous and bizarre. She's not going to remember you, is she? She is a busy, important, famous person. Why would she remember you? He is the Son of God. The one who made the world. And he is suffering. And he's got his own death agonies to to consume his mind. And he's about to become the king of the universe. That's a busy job. Would he remember a good-for-nothing criminal? A nobody whose name we don't even know? Would he remember him? Yes, he does. He remembers him. I simply want to commend to you the kindness of Jesus. He remembers the needy. And the nobodies, the wicked and the helpless, he remembers. But Jesus did more than remember. What did he say? Did you see verse 43? What he said? I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today? How? How could that man today, that day be with Jesus in paradise. How could it happen? He's got nothing good about him. Nothing to earn his way into heaven. Oh, our society might say the power of faith. You notice our society likes to talk about the power of faith. In films, the good guys often are people who are getting by by the power of faith. Faith in itself has no power. Faith in itself has no power at all. There was once a little boy called Ethan. And he got a Superman outfit and he really, truly believed it could make him fly. He really had faith that Superman outfit could make him fly. And he jumped off something. Thankfully, it wasn't too high because faith itself has no power. I'm not here to preach the power of faith. I'm here to preach the power of Jesus. And the ironic thing is, they said to him, save yourself and us. But it was precisely by not saving himself that Jesus had the power to save us. Because he was dying in our place to take our punishment, to take our guilt. He is the way people like that criminal and you and me, if we are humbly relying on Jesus, can go to paradise which is another word for heaven. I I simply want to commend to you both the kindness and the power of Jesus. Think of the man on the middle cross, Jesus. Then think of the men either side of him, the criminals. Think of their attitudes. They're different attitudes. Which one are you like? That's, That's the simple question I want to challenge you with. Which one are you like? If we'd read, we could have read elsewhere in the Bible that tells us that the second criminal used to be like the first one. He had the same attitudes and the same disregard of Jesus as the first one, but he changed. So could you. So I will slightly rephrase my question. Which one will you be like? Which one of those two will? you be like.